very special episode today. We are joined by longtime listener and friend of the show, Jesse from Montreal. Welcome, Jesse. Thanks for having me. I have to admit, I'm, uh, I'm a bit nervous. Starstruck. <laughs> I hope I can live up to uh, expectations. Oh, man, I don't know. I, yeah, we're pretty familiar with uh, certainly your editorial style at this point. I, I don't know what your live performance will be like, but my goodness, the, uh, the uh, mail contributions paint a very clear picture of what our guests might be like here, ladies and gentlemen. I have, I have to say that it's a bit like uh, uh, having internet comments read out loud, because I write in a style of internet comments, and then when they're read out on the air, I'm, I, have, I, I must admit there are some regrets. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure you must be referring to the Karen's comment. That one, that, that one went a little far, but I was having, it was all in good fun, and I apologize for all of the people I offended, because I'm sure there was dozens. <laughs> Yeah, probably was. Yeah. I really expected us to get a couple of notes from people saying, you know, like, I'm pretty sure people were going to receive that all as pretty funny. I think they were so angry <laughs> that they're just going, I won't, I can't even. That's yeah, what that's they said. Right. That's they right. were shaking when they were trying to write. They couldn't get the. <laughs> <laughs> uh, have you guys seen the uh, Larry Sanders show? Yeah. No, I haven't. So, seen. oh, okay. Larry Larry Sanders is a show uh, done by Gary Shandling, who is kind of like a classic '70s comedian and after. And uh, he, what it was, was a fake talk show, um, kind of like a Letterman kind of thing. Really well done, kind of filmed as almost like a documentary, so you get to see what's happening behind the scenes. And and when you when you said that you're kind of uh, in awe of being with the Shed Dogs, it made me think of the Larry Sanders show where. The hosts uh, on those talk shows are super friendly. They have great conversations. The moment the commercial break comes, they just turn away. <laughs> they don't even engage. Yeah. No, they, they're, they're not just, interested. It's just blank. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I, I see a million of you people. I don't. <laughs> it's just like, yeah, and it's kind of like that with us. So okay. after the conversation is over, you may never hear from us again. So. <laughs> Yeah, we're very low quality, or not low quality, but unprofessional kind of, like I edit the video separate from him. Okay. So what gets included in one is not what's in the oh, other. I didn't know that. There's two versions. I'll <laughs> yes. go check out yeah. the videos now. For the hidden, yeah, it's kind of like the, the, extras. the director's cut. The director's cut. So I'm going to give, uh, so so since we're, gonna, since we're talking about that, I will give a little behind the scenes because I work in production, video production. Yeah. Right? So... Uh, I staged this because it has to look nice. <laughs> and I did this for my wife this morning. My wife uh, works for the federal government and she's a, she's a regional director. And she was they're doing their big town hall with her, all her 500 employees. And so uh, I stage managed her whole thing, her Zoom shot with the Christmas tree and our big hearth with the stockings and I lit it. And uh, when they were setting up, uh, some of the people thought that it was one of those fake teams backgrounds yeah, yeah, that you can put. Yeah. And I'm like, that's the highest praise I can get because that means that it looks like a photo. So, you know, I put this uh, up on the mantle here yeah, yeah. and the saxophone there so people know I'm cool. Yeah. And yeah. the saxophone, and this is, I'm giving it away, so this will be just for the uh, the exclusive content. The saxophone, I didn't, my stand wasn't high enough. So I literally put it on a gobo holding it up <laughs> so that it's in the right location. That's excellent. So, so, That's I could, so, so it's very, very clean. Well, since we've mentioned your saxophone there, if I recall right, you worked on a cruise ship for a while as a musician. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I went, I came out to, so I'm originally from Vancouver and uh, I came out to Montreal to go to McGill to study music. 
a year and a half into the program, I hated it. And uh, so I decided, I said, hell with this. And I quit halfway through a semester and, and uh, started playing on music on cruise ships. How did you get into that? Well, the, it's a known thing for paying off student loans. There are, two, there are two types of musicians on cruise ships. Kids paying off their student loans and older musicians who are, can barely play and are doing that to survive. <laughs> so it's okay. this weird, there's no one in the middle. It's, it's very much okay. like beginning and end of careers. So cruise life. ships are the Hollywood squares of the music business. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. Uh, cruise ships are... <laughs> or something and even for the musicians or something so i had uh, and also the agency that hires out most musicians to most cruise lines is in montreal there's a so so it was a very known thing here so i decided to to just literally left my apartment threw away all my stuff went on went on ships and i i had been given good advice because a lot of people will go most of the cruises are in the caribbean and I was talking with some people and they were saying, listen, if you want to get drunk on a beach for six months and maybe do some coke, then go there. But if you, if you don't, if that's not your bag, then try and find something else. So thankfully, like that doesn't appeal to me whatsoever. So I went to Europe instead. So I did the Mediterranean actually, which was super fun. So we oh, did nice. uh, Turkey, Greece, uh, Spain, Italy, Portugal, Gibraltar, Morocco, Egypt, uh, Israel, it was uh, Cyprus, it was phenomenal and like saw the world and got paid to see it. It was super fun. Okay. Well, I mean, I like hearing the good stuff, but I really want the dirt. Like what, what happens behind the scenes on a cruise ship? The, the cruise ship, uh, well, I'll put it this, this way. I'll never go on a cruise ship. I will never <laughs> go on a cruise ship. It's the wor it's, it was the weirdest time in my life because it was probably one of the absolute best times I was having. Uh, the first, I did two contracts for, I was on ships for about a year over a two year span. And I had a girl, uh, one of the singers was my girlfriend on one. It was phenomenal. We saw the world. So it was the absolute, one of the absolute best times of my life and one of the abjectly worst times of my life because living on a cruise ship is probably the worst thing that you can, I mean, there are worse things living in a war zone, I guess, but it's, it's pretty horrible. So if you, th my, the, the, the best way I could think of to describe it is, you remember how crappy high school was? Now imagine you're locked in at night and you have to share a room the size of a closet with a douchebag that you don't like. That's oh, you got about. doubled up. There's no real estate on a cruise ship is very, very uh, oh, prime. So man. you're in, you're literally, I mean, you've seen the, the pictures of bunk beds in military ships and it's that you, you have oh. a, a little wow. stand up toilet that is basically one of those one piece things where you can just hose it down and there's a shower there and there's a toilet there. And then you have a tiny little locker, half size locker, and then those little bunk beds and, and you're sharing it with someone who you don't know. They just randomly come, then they leave, then you leave. And it's, it's uh, so you're in steerage. Oh yeah. You're all, you're all below the waterline. And then on top of it, it's a bunch of people from all over the world who are, this is just nutty. I had no idea. They're fighting. They're screwing. They're, they're la I mean, it's crazy. It's, 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 it's like high school. All of the drama that you can imagine from high school, the cool kids, the not cool kids, the, the, you've got all the groups. And then and the layer on top of that, which makes it even worse, is it's basically abject racist colonialism shoved in your face on a daily basis because the whiter you are and the better you speak English, the more you're paid and the less you work. 
Wow. So, yeah, it's very, so you'll have different jobs are often come from different countries. And the reason why isn't necessarily racism, but it's because that the agency that hires those people comes from that country. So all of the entertainers are North American. All of the people who work in the spa come from the UK or Australia. All the people who work in the kitchen are from India or um, Pakistan. All the people who do the laundry are from the Philippines. All the people who clean the rooms are from Eastern Europe. So I had... And as a musician, you're treated better. So we were considered, there's officers, staff, and crew. And staff is like a little bit better than crew. So I had someone who cleaned my cabin, which I found ridiculous. But someone was paid to clean my cabin. And they, so I'm this music school dropout. And this guy is... uh, has his master's in education from, in, from Lithuania and he's scrubbing my toilet. And I was like, this is mental. Like it was very, it was very, very, so there's a lot of bitterness there too. And there's, you know, I'm a musician. I'm playing music two hours a day and getting paid double what the, what the guy in the laundry who doesn't see the sun for six months is getting paid. And yeah, and they, yeah so. Holy Dinah. And as a very young man too, that must've been a bit of a, bit of a thing. Yeah, coming. I mean, you know, like I'm, you know, I can't be more privileged, right? Like young white dude from Vancouver in Montreal, like going to see, and all of a sudden it's like, bam, this is reality. It was a very, uh, yeah, it was very stark. That would yeah. be a thing. I, I, I'm, I was really been late to discover the degree to which okay, we've I'll enjoyed privilege. Like just over the last four or five years, I finally, it's okay, really and have clear you, to me. can you start recording with your garage I, I band as well? I just could possibly have been more fortunate in terms of the time and place of my birth. Yeah. It's, and it was, I think, just, I think it was a great thing for me to f- discover that at, uh, in my early twenties because yeah, it probably, was, cause, I mean, and it was not, uh, subtle right it was and the people <laughs> yeah. the people there were nice like no one yelled at me because I was a white guy but yeah uh, looking at the I mean I would have conversations they, they, these were people who were in their mid-20s they'd they'd left their kids for 12 months uh, to do a 12-month contract that uh, they're getting paid half what I'm getting paid but for them it's it's still a lot of money so you know like the guy in the laundry I, I remember coming up we were in uh, Greece in Santorini so in Santorini you can't the ship can't dock so it's tenders that go between that they ship just anchors and tenders go between yeah, yeah. so there's a guy out on the on the deck who was in crew like a, in uh, I knew he was crew and he was in uh, civilian clothes and uh I just went up to talk to him and he was one of the guys from the Philippines who worked in the laundry. He's like, it's the first time I've seen the sun in like four months. Jeez. Hello, everyone. Hello. 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 Have you met Jesse before? I believe when he was about two feet high. Yeah, I was going to say I don't have a memory, so. No, I'm sure you don't. Same, same. Did did I meet him over on Jersey? You probably did. It wouldn't surprise me because he, you know, for a while there, I lived with uh, Jesse's family. And at the time he was, well, toddler. Yeah. And he used to come wake me up every morning and he'd just say one word, up. (laughs) Up. That that was in, uh, where was that? It was in Burnaby. Oh, in Burnaby. Okay. Yeah. On uh, Jersey Street. Uh, There's a little place every few years or so i kind of take a different route and go drive oh yeah that's where we used to live it was a cool little house absolutely you would wake me up every morning anyway that was a great time for me staying with your your folks just to get me started at bcit 
because yeah. I really needed a stable environment because I was <laughs> kind of starting over. Like I would you know, I realized I didn't want to be in labor anymore. I'd gotten really poor marks at university because I was basically getting up at noon every day, kind of like I do now, but, but back <laughs> then, you know, and, uh, and then at BCIT, I kind of had to start fresh. And so, yeah. How old were you back then? How old, how old were you? When you were I was uh, a couple, I felt like I was way older than my classmates, but I was only like two or three years older than them. Okay. Cause I'd taken than most of them. Cause I'd taken a few years off and I was a laborer in a, in a copper mine. Wow. And, uh, yeah, I was, I remember the moment you, I was in the middle of shoveling steel balls, like four inch steel balls and you just kind of shovel them, get them back on the, uh, on the, on the, uh, conveyor belt. So and you I'm would have been about 23 at Jersey. Yeah. Yeah. Something like that. Yeah. And then I applied to, uh, cause this show is all about me, right? So I applied to BCIT and they said, no, you can't come in. Your marks were too bad at university. And so I had one of my professors uh, write a letter of reference to them. And I had a meeting with the dean. And I was completely honest. I said, that was then, this is now, I'm all done with the partying. I want a career and you can count on me. I'm going to really do well. And so they put me on the waiting list and I was the last student let in that year. So that was it. I think if I had not gotten in, I would have still been uh, shoveling steel balls, I'm pretty sure. <laughs> That's kind of crazy. I didn't have very good marks from high school, and I sure didn't have good marks from college. So, No, remember at university, I was telling you guys how clueless I was. Like, any time that my kids seem a little naive to me, all I have to do is think back to when I was their age, and I'm thinking, God, those guys have it together. Yeah, yeah. I, so well, my entire... 20s was that right like i didn't i didn't have to shovel steel balls into a refinery but i was uh but i was i i didn't i've never taken anything seriously let alone my 20s was i mean i just told you i i literally walked away from university and and there's a whole thing there too right like it wasn't pla this wasn't a i'm going to sit down and you know analyze whether i should go on cruise ships i literally just walked away as well as forging certain documents, as well as committing bank fraud, as well, you know, like I just literally blew up my life and went, and that was, you know, whatever, who cares? Statu <laughs> statute of limitations is out on that uh, one, yeah, isn't it? Evidently, yeah. <laughs> oh yeah, no, yeah, no. Yeah, no a lot of, lot of faith no. in the editor otherwise. Yeah, so no, uh, so, so I, I totally understand that, and when, when my kids are in that phase, I, I, I actually, between my wife and I, it's pretty funny, because she's the opposite, right? She's, she went like, well, here they have SAGEP, which is um, a bit like college, but she did, you know, high school, SAGEP, university, master's, job with the government, boom, she's uh, like the highest, she's the regional director in, in Quebec, so she's the highest she can get without going back to Ottawa. And so she's got all these plans for the kids, right? She's very, uh, they're going to be this and they're going to be that. And I'm the other side saying, listen, if they want to be a jazz trombonist and live in the basement, that's cool. As long as they, you know, play well, then that's fine. As long as they do it well, no problem. So how old, two, how old are your kids, Jesse? Uh, eight and four. Nice. So they got a while to go. So, but, uh, so I really, uh, I like it. You say yes to pretty well, well, to a lot of stuff. And in, in some ways I felt I was that way. I would just fall into things, whatever. Um, maybe not always saying yes though, but anyway, uh, and, and your wife is a planner. Yes. She has goals and she 
thinks about what needs to happen at each stage along the way. So I can see that as a, she's probably really good for you. Oh yeah. And we tried a vacation once my way and it did not go over well. So we, we do vacations her way now. <laughs> we do that, that we've, we've done a mix, but sometimes, yeah, just taking a turn down a road that you didn't plan on, that can be just the best part. Yeah, I've always, uh, it's, uh, it's never steered me wrong, but then again, uh, I'm in a pretty privileged position of who I am and where I was born and uh, where I live. So I don't have, I have a very, I've always had a naivete that goes along with it where I can just, yeah, why not? You know, which most people can actually do. So yeah, yeah. But I, 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 I hear that though, because eventually, and when I was hitting, coming up to 30, I'm like, maybe I should think about a job ish or something. <laughs> and then I started my own business instead of getting a job. So, so yeah, you did, you started your own business. Um, when, when was that? 2008. Okay. So it's been, been 12 years now. Yeah. And is this Avenue eight? Yes, exactly. Well, so, what, it's a uh, video production business, is it? So that was a bit like, I have a theme in my life, which is just say yes to everything and just do it. And so that was a bit of another one of those things. I just, all of a sudden, I, I've always liked documentaries and I wanted to make a documentary. So I just tried to do it uh, with my, with someone who I barely knew who became my business partner. And now my wife calls my husband because we're like inseparable. And we, so we just started filming a documentary with no money and no experience and no tools and no gear and no contacts. And we spent a year chasing around this roller derby team. It's a, there's, there's a, <laughs> a resurgence of roller derby around that time. And in Montreal, we, we, we got in at the, the beginning and, and we're filming these roller derby girls. It was super fun. But we were terrible. We had no idea what we were doing. Uh, we would watch our footage afterwards and be like, this is terrible. Uh, but then my genius idea was, hey, we should start a company. So we did. And Well, hang uh, on, hang on. Is there no actual record of this? Is it not on YouTube? We shot about 150 hours of footage and never edited anything. Oh, no. No, we had a no. year. We followed them from a year. It would have been phenomenal. We followed them for a year from when there was nothing until... We went to Boston, we traveled to Boston with them and they had their first big event here with literally hundreds of people in a line down the street. It would have been an epic documentary, but we started being too successful at our at our business and didn't allow us to actually do it. So there's okay. literally no. Oh, okay. you know what? There might be a trailer I could get for you. I, I think there's I a trailer. I would love to see yes, it. I'll, I'll, well, I'll try and talk. Isn't, isn't this the kind of thing that people turn into feature length films way later when they, you know, and they yeah. release it as a piece of art? So it was uh, shot on like a re obscure format mini DV that doesn't exist anymore. And I gave all the tapes to the boyfriend of the girl who started the thing. So I don't even have the tapes anymore. Yeah. I have a few mini DV tapes I'm going to get converted. But uh, yeah. Yeah. So that was, so we started like that. And then we, my, my partner Max and I have a, have a saying that together we, we form a, a normal human being. Like we, <laughs> we complement each other. And, um, but he's the genius that, about the business, and I'm the guy who figures out how to do whatever he wants to do. So he has the vision, and I and I figure it out. And uh, so he sort of led us to 
part of the market that didn't wasn't being served correctly because this was about you have to put yourself back in this is the beginning of YouTube the beginning of online videos and no one knew how to do anything and all of these companies wanted we need to be viral we need to be online and they were looking around for someone to do it for them and so we filled that that need and so it, be, it just exploded and it was and we built the company up to 15 people and a big office and we did websites as well as video uh, it was it's it was a quite uh, quite a quite an arc and then uh, last September not this September but the last year 2019 we fired everyone and closed the website and went back to just doing videos I wouldn't know what to do but it was I a pretty that's... terrible conversation I'll, it was one of the hardest things I've done yeah and, yeah. and dragging down completely the uh, humor of this podcast. <laughs> Don't think about yeah, it. <laughs> I'm so sorry. And I think that's yeah. that's uh, that's a wrap for today. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, we'll end on a low note. But um, along the way, I believe wow. you did some. You, I'm sure you had lots and lots of clients. But did you not work for uh, Jack Layton at one point? Yeah. So that was actually didn't have anything to do with the company. And that was another instance of me saying yes to something that I had literally no business saying yes to. <laughs> it was very, very funny. So uh, the way Max and I met was, uh, so I was playing music in the early 2000s. I was uh, on the cruise ships and I came back, was doing, doing gigs and stuff here. And I had started working randomly on commercial TV sets. So uh, commercial sets, uh, production sets. So for Montreal is a hotbed for national commercials because we can do the English and the French version here. So most national commercials were produced in Montreal at the time. I literally, I mean, and it was a friend of a friend needed someone to stand at the end of a street with a flag and block people from coming, right? So, and I was like, eh, I have nothing to do and I'll make 150 bucks. So, okay, I'll stand there and get yelled at all day. And it was quite an adventure, but I had been doing that for a while, sort of part-time and just started getting interested in, in lighting and camera work and stuff. But I was still just, I, I'd worked my way up to, so the, the production assistants are the lowest on the totem pole, but I'd worked my way up to the set. PA, which is the guy who's the right-hand man of the director on set, who's organizing everyone. You know, if you're blocking a street, they're the ones that make sure it's blocked for the shot and stuff. So it was a pretty stressful job, and I made my way up to set PA. So I was doing okay, but I'd never really done lighting or... I, I had played with it and, you know, done my own little things. And out of the blue, a friend of mine called me. I think it was 2004. It was the election... It was the, the winter election that was that really long election in the early 2000s. I think it was 2004, 2003, I forget. And he called me out of the blue because the, the writ was going to drop, but it hadn't happened yet. And he said, I'm going on uh, the NDP tour, Jack Layton's, like the leader's tour. Uh, we need li we need a uh, lighting guy. Do you want to come? And I was like, sure. <laughs> but uh, so he said, well, there's a pre-prod thing in Ottawa next week. We'll drive down. So I drive down and I'm thinking it's the national tour i'm going to be a lighting guy no i was the lighting guy so i show up i have no idea what i'm doing the guy the first the, the the technical director's like do you have your light meter i'm like uh yeah i left it in montreal <laughs> I, don't, I don't even know how to read a light meter i'm not i literally have no idea what i'm doing uh so they're like here's your gear check it out so i said i mean I'd, i know what light i know how to manipulate light so i was looking at them going okay and the first thing i did when i got to the hotel was google how to <laughs> how to do lighting because uh, i realized i was in a bit of hot water but uh so we went i went back to montreal figured some stuff out talked to some people and went back went for the election and then did the the, the couple months 
uh, on Jack Layton's plane uh, with uh, with the team lighting stuff every day and got really good at it. It was it was quite the experience. And and did you manage to parlay all that expertise into uh, future wealth? Well, that's exactly so that helped me yeah build my company right so yeah. that I could I ran the lighting and the and the camera for my company and it was. I mean, the, the, the tour itself was phenomenal. I saw the entire country. We went up to Iqaluit. We went out to uh, St. John's. We went up to uh, off the, on, on the island, uh, all up the island. We went to Yellowknife. I saw, I've seen basically every medium-sized city in, in Canada, and we would do two or three provinces a day flying everywhere. It was really, really, really exciting. That would be cool. So I, like to, I yeah. don't know what I missed at the beginning, but did you? Why don't you tell us about your cruise ship experience? Yeah. So where did we end on the cruise ship, or do you uh, want me to start again? We pretty much covered that. Oh, okay. Then, yeah, then, yeah, then never yeah, mind. Gotta, yeah. I don't Basically, know if we. Uh, did you tell us how it all ended at that that point? No. So so uh, long story short, for KJ, uh, it was the absolute one of the best and the one of the absolute worst experiences in my life, and I will never go on a cruise because. The life on a cruise ship is, um, think of all the crappy drama of high school, but you're locked in at night and you have to sleep in a closet with someone who you don't know. Lovely. So that's what it, living on a cruise ship is like. Uh, meanwhile, on the other side, I was seeing the pyramids and, and seeing Jerusalem. And we would get, on a cruise ship, you, f you, you feel rich because if you, so what I did was I just left, I left everything. I didn't have an apartment. I didn't pay for anything. And they pay you all this money. And at the time, it was in U.S. and going into my Canadian bank account, and they would they would give you a, like a stipends in cash. So I would have my drawer had like four thousand dollars in U.S. hundreds in it, and so you know I'm a 22 year old with nothing to do. So what we would have an overnight in Barcelona, and you'd drop a thousand dollars on and, and party until 10 o'clock in the morning. It was it was just incredible. Um, so all of that was amazing. I had the first the first ship I did. The band was great because uh, you don't choose who you play with. So everyone comes randomly and it, you can get, as I was saying before, you can get the grisly old uh, washed out has been musicians or the young, uh, the young uh, sort of hotshots. And we were all young hotshots and it was phenomenal. We, we, we used to practice and play outside of regular time. Um, and then a new group of singers and dancers came and I fell in love with one of them. I said, that's, she's going to be my girlfriend. And she was, and we spent all, so we spent seven months making all this money and four months, uh, three months backpacking around Europe, spending it all together. It was, uh, it was just ridiculous how, how much fun it was, but I came back pretty depressed uh, because the, the life isn't amazing. And then I, had no money, so I went and did a second one, and the band was terrible. I had a drummer who couldn't keep time. I had a, I had a, uh, a trumpet player who was in his 60s, and he would sleep 18 hours a day, and I'd have to go knock on his door to wake him up to go sit, to go play. Uh, and he said, well, I think he was actually helpful in me realizing I shouldn't be a musician, <laughs> because <laughs> he, at one point he's sitting, he's sitting with his trumpet and his head down like this. <laughs> uh, before the curtains open and I said Bill are you okay and he looked at, he just looked up to me and said you know when I was 20 I lived like I wasn't going to live past 30 and now I'm paying for it <laughs> wow <laughs> so I was like I'll take that as a warning uh, but the second contract was basically just depressing so I hated the band I hated the music had already seen a lot of the places so it wasn't exciting 
So when I got back, a lot of my friends were like, are you okay? Because I was pretty... And I said, the, the, the joke on cruise ships is that everyone says this is my last one because everyone comes back. Right. But uh, that was my last one. I wasn't going to do it again. So for a lot of people, the money's too good, maybe. Yeah. Yeah. It's very, yeah. It's, it's, a very it's a very cushy job and you're treated well. As I was explaining, your there's um, the officers, so there's the ship people. And then below that, there's staff, which are the better paid and better treated, which is like me. Someone cleaned my cabin for me. Uh, we got to eat the passenger food. We could go out into the bars. We could wear our tuxedos and a name tag and go out to the outside bars. If not, there's one tiny crew bar, which is the only place to smoke. So you would buy a can of Coke and it would smell like smoke. All, you know, as, like the can, the <laughs> aluminum can would smell like smoke. Um, so we could go off the ship That's every fun. day. Like we would go, we, I would just lose myself in Barcelona or take a tram in Istanbul to the end and walk back. I mean, there was a lot of ways to you're treated well and then there's the crew below who are treated terribly and and are basically it's 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 colonialism racism shoved in your face daily because the brown people who don't speak english work in the bowels of the ship and don't get to see the sun and get paid half what i do oh that's really steerage then yes yeah 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 Yeah, so uh it's funny we just covered uh dirty dancing a few episodes back i don't know if you've seen that movie of course and the uh, the staff, uh, well, not everyone has. It turns out. I, I, but, uh, I am shocked. I know it was. Uh, it was shocking. <laughs> the uh, the staff there is told to uh, socialize with the uh, yeah. with the guests. Was it anything like that for you? The musicians are probably the best job on a cruise ship because you're in that gray zone where you're sort of basically paid to fill a tuxedo. They if they could get a monkey to do it or a robot, you wouldn't be there. So you're expected-ish to talk to people, but not like the singers and dancers. Part of their job was to go out and run shuffleboard oh. and be like there. You there. Go. My cruise cruise ship was a destination-based cruise line, which means it was there. You, you're going to see the pyramids or to see Istanbul. You weren't going to party. Yeah. So the the average age of the person on the people on the ship were was a, a good seventies. Like there was, it was, there was no fun happening on the ship. Uh, (laughs) People, people died. Careful, careful. Yeah. (laughs) There was a certain type of fun happening. But on top of it, these were, these were all Americans coming out to, to, um, to Europe. So they were, they wanted to be in their bubble and they would take these prepackaged uh, uh, excursions to go see things. And they, they wanted to be in their bubble. And, uh, and, you know, there was, my favorite, well, macabre story was they because people would die often on the ship, like often <laughs> every couple months. Did you just slip them over the side at night, or no? They have they have actually freezer spaces for them. It's, <laughs> it's pretty, it's pretty horrible. They, you're awesome. you're serious, aren't you? Oh, I'm not serious. joking. And there was the funniest one. So you get used to it because you hear the different codes, right? There's code Oscar, code Mike. There's there's a bunch of codes for for when someone's having problems, <laughs> and. Uh, the, oh, the one horrible the one that that actually so you get sort of used to it and then it becomes it's not funny but because it, it's not funny but there was a uh, a woman a couple who were there and his her the woman's husband died and she just shipped his body home and from greece and kept going on the cruise because they were <laughs> they were like they were riding these ships until the end and so it was like he's done and i'm still going so. they probably had an agreement oh, wow. I'm oh, sure they God. did, yeah. But, you know, as the crew, you're like, oh, man, this is just... <laughs> it's just and you just, you just think about somebody just marking their time, eh? Well, I've already sent Ed home. I guess like, I'll be following him before too long, you know, like... Yeah, and you're yeah. seeing that person around, like, day in and day out. 
it was. I very, thought when you were, when you said you'd never go on again, I was sure you were going to be telling me stuff about they spit in your food and everything. But no, 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 no. This it, is it, no. This is kind of worse than that. It's, yeah, it's <laughs> it's the people that it's the, the people are genuine that are that are on it, and they're they're. I mean, the 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 tough reality is, you know, you I come on as as a white North American, and so I'm, you know, I have a guy who cleans my cabin, and I'm a musical school dropout, and he's. Yeah. Uh, has his master's degree in education and he's cleaning my cabin because he's from Eastern Europe. So, um, yeah. but the people that come on, the reality is the guy in the laundry from the Philippines who, who hasn't seen the sun in, in, in nine months, he goes back and he's paid half what I am, but he goes back and he buys a business. He's supporting extended families. I mean, there, it's still a windfall for them. So they're still, they're, they're not as bitter as you would expect. And, yeah. and they're and they're and they're they're all uh, you know there are kids that, who are there to have fun, but no one's no one's really that bitter about it. But visiting visiting Cuba was kind of like that because in Cuba everybody who works with the tourists has to have a university degree, yeah. and it doesn't matter if they're the cleaning person or serving you your espresso in the morning. And so that was kind of cool because you could chat with them and and they'd be quite interesting people. And so then for our listeners who are considering cruises, then you know. Just blind yourself to the horrible inequities and your privilege, your runaway, horrible, disgusting privilege. Just <laughs> blind yourself, close your mind to that, and enjoy your cruise. Don't just don't open those doors. Yeah, don't open the doors that lead to the careers. Don't open them and look in there because you don't want to know. <laughs> That's just the thing with the morgue is pretty bad, though. I mean, it totally makes sense, but again, you would never think that. You would no. never. And yes, cruise ships are are. You know, historically, they're always filled with old people. But that, that's changed somewhat over, I mean, there's different, we've, I've never been on a cruise. I'm pretty sure that you guys haven't either, correct? I haven't. Yeah, the other dogs. Yeah, but, uh, you know, when people love cruise, cruises, they love them. So there, there are people that go on one every year, and, and I think the age range probably skews towards our age, right? But there are people in their 20s and 30s that just, I'm well, first of all, you have to have money, right? Unless you're going on some kind of special shoulder cruise. They sound pretty cool to me, but yeah, that's not something that we'll probably be doing soon. The reality is there, it's no different than the hotel, right? Like you go to a hotel, there's a bunch of illegal immigrants or not paid or treated very well. People cleaning your room. You just don't see it. It's the same thing. I I only wouldn't go. I'm not going to be a moralistic guy and say cruises are bad. I'm just, I personally would throw up and, you know, I would have, I would stick to my stomach if I go back into that atmosphere because of what I lived through, but, but it's personal. That's all we got for this week. Thanks so much for being with us. We really enjoyed ourselves there. Thanks, Jesse, so much for coming on. I really like the stories about the cruise ship. So glad you could make it. And I really hope you're going to come by and see us when you're out here in the coast next time. We'll have you in the actual shed in the rosy, happy future when none of us have to isolate. We're looking forward to that. Meantime, take care of yourself and everybody who's listening. You guys take care of yourselves too. We'll catch you again next time. Good show, guys. Bye. 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 Brilliant. I'm glad I, I was, I'm glad I got to witness that. I'm super. That, this is the highlight of my night. <laughs> That's great. So embarrassing. <laughs> and uh, embarrassing. what what usually happens is that once he's done one of those, we talk about what he did wrong, and then we say, again. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
that's the that's the um i think i've said that in in the in the 12 or so years uh, i've been doing film is that was perfect one more time <laughs> i like time. that i like that yeah that was brilliant yeah. i loved it one more time and then, and then when you want the next one more time, you say, this one's just for safety. Moby, I have what I need. I have what I need. This one's just for safety. Moby, do you get yeah. that? All the time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he knows what I'm talking about. <laughs> that was funny. brilliant. Okay, we'll do it again. <laughs> Everyone back to one. Everyone back to one. See, what's funny about it, too, is like for safety... Well, no. For safety means for safety means you get your editors in the uh, in the room. Is like, yeah, there's some dude in the background with his watch, you know, in a in a in oh. a period piece because that we didn't notice. So we have another oh. take where he's not there. Basically, the director not really doing his job properly and watching. Well, <laughs> <it. laughs> have you ever seen anything like that where the director's not really doing their job properly? Yes, I have. Skin, thanks for asking. Did you want to name any no, names no, or? No, no. <laughs> 